Tendencies. I'm Gabby. I'm Kim. And my voice is back. I'm so excited. (laughs) Um, We talk about all these things that are haunted, all the ghoulish things, if you will. (laughs) The true crime things that Kim, you know, eats for breakfast. I do. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And snacks. And snacks. snacks ghost, ghosty snacks. Ghost snacks. They're like Scooby snacks, but ghostier. Yeah, and they like to have lots of dad puns, so hopefully you like those too. So, you know, you're in for a good time if you like all things haunted, true crime, legends, lore, all those fun facts, and a little bit of humor thrown in. Usually it's pretty dark. So, just Or dad. Dark or dad or dark dad jokes. So... You know how in the beginning of our podcast, Kim, we did lots of episodes on New Orleans and you're like, this is not a New Orleans podcast. We need to do more topics that are not New Orleans. I I do recall saying something along those lines, probably in that exact voice. Um, Exactly in that voice, verbatim. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I had a few more topics that I wanted to cover and I had to show some restraint in um, our topic choices for the first couple episodes so guess what guys we have another southern topic for you today nolens nolens um but before we get into our topic we have a weekly ghost story for you and since i am spearheading this episode kim give it to us what kind of ghost story do you get so this ghost story comes to us from seattle washington Yay, Seattle. Uh, And this involves a young woman who uh, had moved into a home about 10 years ago. And the home itself at the time did not exhibit any signs of being haunted. No indication. It was built in the 80s or so. Not that that necessarily affects whether or not a place is haunted. But up until now, there had been no ghostly activities. Oh, I see what you did there. You see what I did there? Yeah. Yeah, Uh, Now, her grandmother passed away, and she inherited a number of items that had belonged to her grandmother, uh, a rug being among them, and a uh, picture, a framed picture. And she started to notice after inheriting these items that there were some strange things happening. But she was also a new mother at this point. Uh, and as as any of you out there who has children know, when you are a new mother, you can be easily distracted by the baby because the babies require a lot of attention. Um, and so she was kind of letting a lot of these things go. Uh, until one day when she was trying to finish dinner, and had placed a pot of potatoes to boil on the stove. Now, she had not turned the stove on. And the baby required a diaper change. So she took the baby upstairs, changed the diaper, heard her husband get home, came back downstairs with a, you know, freshly changed baby, and the potatoes are done cooking on the stove. And she said, oh, thanks, babe. I appreciate you turning the stove on. And he looked at her and said, what are you talking about? The stove was on when I got home. Dun, dun, dun. And she's like, no, it, it really wasn't. And he was kind of convinced maybe this was mommy brain. And she was like, no, <laughs> this is not mommy brain. Um, so, and, and the second portion of this story gets slightly racy. Just for racy. Well, you'll know why pretty soon. (laughs) Um, So the the rug was in their master bedroom. And her grandmother was a... uh, She's like a kind of a pretty sassy woman. So she would have been all about like, you know, young couple, their first baby, let's get you back into the, the loving mood. So she noticed one day she'd come back into the bedroom And she heard a strange sound. And so she's looking around, looking around, and noticed the strange sound was coming from her nightstand. 
I thought you were going to say it was, it was her husband. <laughs> no, her husband's at work. This is the middle of the day. <laughs> so she went over to her nightstand and opened it up. And yes, indeed, the buzzing sound. Oh, it was her vibrator. It was, she would discover her vibrator had been turned on. And the reason why she was like, this was not me. This was not an accident. It was in another box in the nightstand and it has a switch on it. So it's not just like, oh, if it's, you know, somebody bumped the nightstand and it bumped it just right. No, it has That's a what physical. She said. That's what she said. It Had has a to. physical on and off switch. So at this point, she started making notice of, of more strange things that would happen, sounds she'd hear, things moving, and uh, had paid more attention to, like her baby wasn't walking at this point, but they did have a cat. So she started realizing there was times when she'd be hearing noises in other parts of the house or where things would be moving. And what she started taking note of is that when she'd hear sounds, the cat would be in the room with her. So the cat couldn't have been making the sounds. The cat couldn't have been making the sounds. Now, they have since moved out of that house, although they did take the furniture with them. But by her current accounts, things have calmed down. Hmm. Yeah. But that is uh, our <laughs> sassy little ghost. The ghost just wants to have a good time, man. Like or those potatoes. Her, the ghost wants her to have a good time. Like, I'll cook the potatoes for you. I'll do dinner for you. Why don't you go have a little... Have a little bit of you time. Have some you time. <laughs> Take... You do you, boo-boo. Mm-hmm. You do you, you do you, boo. Like, boo. <laughs> like a ghost. Oh, my God. It's so bad. <laughs> and we're off... Off to a great start. We are off to a fantastic start. It's going to be a good episode, guys. Thanks for that story, Kim. (laughs) Is it because I'm I'm drinking wine from my student tears mug? (laughs) So Kim is literally drinking out of a mug that says student tears, and in parentheses underneath it says still warm. So she's not wrong. Um, That's pretty accurate. My cup doesn't say anything on it. I just have a nice little hot chocolate moment going on, a little bit of a mocha moment. Um, I like that you're having a mocha moment and I'm having a, a wine moment. You know, to each his own. <laughs> Whatever <laughs> makes you happy at the end of the day. Mm. Uh, but we've been snowed in lately, so we're both a tiny bit stir crazy. So that's <laughs> what will make this episode even better for you. Oh, so yeah. it's going to be a good time. So our topic for today is the Myrtle's Plantation. So if you haven't heard of the Myrtle's Plantation, you're living under a rock, Uh, legit. (laughs) It's probably one of the most well-known haunted plantations in the entire United States. It's about three hours northwest of uh, New Orleans. And when I went to New Orleans in October, that was like one of the one things I really wanted to do. So I got a rental car with my boyfriend. We got it for just for the day. We stopped at Oak Alley Plantation and we went to the Myrtles Plantation. And we'll be talking a little bit about Oak Alley later, but I wanted to start with the Myrtles Plantation because... It's a really interesting situation when it comes to tourism. So when you think about, you know, New Orleans being spooky and cultured and historic and all those awesome things, plantations are also those things, but they have a lot of a darker side in the underbelly of them, right? (laughs) Slavery is not a wonderful thing to talk about. Um, And it often has some negative... It just is a negative topic. I'm not going to say it has negative ties to it. It just is bad things happen to people that didn't deserve it. Well, we, we, which we touched on, I think, with our La Lorie episode. We did. Um, We did. And it's it's a a place in New Orleans. Totally. It's a common theme in the South in general. (laughs) Um, And so a lot of the history with plantations are usually tied to slavery, right? Mm -hmm. So what's interesting about the Myrtle's Plantation is that if you go there, you can actually stay there. It's a bed and breakfast. So you can stay there a night if you want. I really wanted to. My boyfriend was like, absolutely not. I'm not staying at a haunted hotel. And I literally wanted to cry. You and I will take a field trip there when I have Yes. Fun. 
Oh my God, I can't wait. I want to go so bad. You guys have no idea. I'm also going back to New Orleans on Sunday, which technically speaking, by the time this comes out, I will have already been back, but I'm going for work. So I will have some fun extra time, but I was trying to get Kim to go with me, but she couldn't go. It's okay. Kim is poor. That's okay. We'll go another time. We have our whole future ahead of us. We have our whole future Um, But having said that, what's really cool about the Myrtles is you can stay there. Um, It is a little pricey, but there's, you can actually stay in some of, I think, the slave like houses. Oh, geez. Uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't opt to do that personally. No. Um, but the way that they market their tours is marketed not as a historic tour, but as a haunted tour year round. It's not just mm. during like October that it's haunted. Year round, they market it as a haunted tour. And if you've heard anything about the Myrtles Plantation, you've heard the stories of Chloe. You've heard different tales that are attached to it, which in my research, I've actually discovered are not really true stories. And it's interesting because during the tour, those are the stories that they tell. Like the people who own it are well aware that they're telling the stories that may not be historically well, just, true. So for the people who may not, know any of these stories what what is the story of chloe we're gonna get into the story of chloe in a second but the reason why i wanted to start off with telling you about the the legend and lore Mm -hmm. and the haunted tales is i wanted to set the set the story straight and start off first with actual historical facts and give you a little history of the, the actual house who owned it who lived there what type of life and death went down and then I'm going to go into the legends and the lore, and we can see where things either overlap or where they do not. So how does that sound? Does that sound good? That sounds good. All right. So the Myrtle's Plantation, it's honestly one of the coolest looking places. I have lots of photos I'll post on our Instagram too, so you'll get a chance to see it from my perspective because I took a lot of pictures. It's so cool. But in... 1796, General David Bradford came from Western Pennsylvania, and he ended up moving to New Orleans to evade arrest due to involvement with whiskey. (gasps) So Kim- I have involvement with whiskey. (laughs) (laughs) Well, back then, you would be accused of treason. If you had involvement with whiskey due to the Whiskey Rebellion. But guess what? He had a nickname. You know what his nickname was? What was his nickname? Whiskey Dave. Whiskey Dave! I think that now makes you Whiskey (gasps) Kim. I think I am Whiskey Kim. Kim really loves whiskey, guys. (laughs) I Listen, whiskey is, of all of my relationships, my relationship with whiskey (laughs) is one that has withstood, uh, you know, it's gone through a lot. (laughs) <laughs> but we've come out stronger every time. Um, Does that mean your your pores are a little bit heavier? Oh, yeah, definitely. Stronger as she holds a cup up and takes a sip. Love it. <laughs> what good timing. Uh, anyway, Whiskey Dave. Um, Whiskey he, Dave. Whiskey Dave is David Bradford. So he got a land grant for 650 acres of land for his plantation in hmm. outside of New Orleans. And That's a healthy size. It's healthy because, you know, he liked whiskey, so he needed a lot of space to hold all his whiskey. <laughs> just kidding. It wasn't to hold whiskey. I'm just being dumb. Oh, Whiskey Dave and I would have been good friends. <laughs> you would have. You, Kate Bats, Whiskey Dave, make a whole group out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but anywho, so he was actually pardoned in 1799, and that's when he got the land grant. So it allowed him to retrieve his family and bring them to St. Francisville. Louisiana. Well, now it's St. Francisville. Back then, it didn't really have a name. Um, But he built his modest eight-room home that he later named Laurel Grove. And one of his law students, um, a little bit later, Clark Woodruff, he noticed that uh, Whiskey Dave had a daughter, and her name was Sarah Matilda. And I'm sorry, Sarah Matilda? Sarah Matilda. That's an interesting 
double name. I mean, I think Matilda was her middle name and they just called her Sarah Matilda. Technically, it's spelled Mathilda. So it almost um, seems like a, you have a speech impediment. Sarah, Sarah Mathilda. Mathilda. Um, yeah. tomato. I know, every time I've said Matilda, my cat has put her head up like, why like, are you saying about my me? name? <laughs> you should start calling her Sarah Matilda from now on and see what happens. <laughs> She'd probably poop on something. <laughs> In your tub. <laughs> she does that. She does that when she's mad at me. <laughs> Anywho, so Sarah Matilda was uh, Whiskey Dave's daughter. Okay. She was 16. Clark Woodruff was 40. Uh, they fell in love. So guess what? You know they got married, even though he was 40 and she was 16. Ouch. I mean, apparently this was something that was common back then, right? So, unfortunately, unfortunately, women didn't have the voices that we now have. So, they got married and Woodruff began to live at their home with them. And he started to manage the plantation with David Bradford. But after his death in 1820, um, David Bradford, Whiskey Dave, RIP. 1820. After mm. he died, Clark Woodruff decided he was going to help his mother-in-law take okay. care of the plantation. And he actually expanded the holdings of the plantation and planted 650 acres of indigo and cotton, which is indigo. really interesting. I find yep. the indigo maybe the most... The cotton doesn't surprise me. The indigo does. Was that a major crop to plants back then perhaps i i'm not super well versed in the indigo realm um but tbd we can look it up yeah i'm kind of fascinated by that i don't know why (laughs) i mean there are lots of different needs i know cotton was a huge thing um tobacco huge sugarcane was huge indigo indigo could be used as a dye so maybe they were yeah no that would make sense that would make sense interesting But um, he and Sarah Matilda had three kids. Uh, they had Cornelia Gale, James, and Mary Octavia. These names are just... These are on point. <laughs> Except James. He, James is boring. It's just James. It's like, James doesn't uh, get a middle name. Um, anyway. James. So normal. James. Um, but, you know, things were cool and all with their names, but uh-huh. things started to take a downward and on July 21st, 1823, our Sarah Matilda died after contracting yellow fever. Uh, that was a... It was early, a thing. Yeah, that was a thing. It was a big thing, especially in the South with the humidity, humidity. Uh-huh. Um, you know, it happens. It and happens. then uh, a, less than a year later, like just about a year later, on July 15th, 1824... James also died from yellow fever. And then only two months later, Cornelia Gale also died of yellow fever. So Sarah Matilda, the mom, and two of her kids died. So this leaves us with Elizabeth, who is Clark Woodruff's mother-in-law, right? That was uh, David Bradford's wife, Elizabeth Bradford. Mm -hmm. She's now an old elderly woman. Right? <laughs> That's I love how you phrase that. She's an old elderly woman. It's a little redundant, I know. She's fine. old and she's elderly. Mature, if you mature. will. Mature. She is mature. 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 Um, so Elizabeth is left. You have uh, Mary Octavia, the daughter left. And you have Clark Woodruff left. I'm trying to get all the names right because there's a yeah. lot of names involved in this one. Fair so enough. you have those three left. And... Uh, Elizabeth stayed at the plantation until she passed away in 1830. And after her death, Clark and his daughter moved out of the plantation and left the plantation in the hands of a caretaker. So that's basically the realm of the Woodruffs living in the Myrtle's Plantation prior to it being called Myrtle's Plantation, Laurel Grove, right? Mm -hmm. So in 1834, Laurel Grove was then purchased by Ruffin Gray Sterling. Wonderful Ruffin? name. Ruffin? Ruffin. R-U-F-F-I-N. <gasps> that might be my name of the week. Name of the week. Hashtag Kim's name of the week. 
And the Sterlings were actually a really wealthy family. They owned a lot of plantations and they saw this one and they were like, I'm going to take that too because it's a nice plantation and we could add it to our list. And they were really wealthy and they were the type of wealthy people that wanted to show off their wealth, right? Mm. So Ruffin Gray Sterling's wife, Mary Catherine Cobb, took over the house, the land, the buildings, so the multiple little houses outside as well, and they took over the slaves of the previous family too. So the slaves stayed Mm. in the house but were acquired by a new family. And since they were leaders in the community, they thought that the house just being eight bedrooms wasn't enough. They wanted to make it bigger. So they remodeled. They Mm. added a lot. Are you ready to hear what they added? Because it's kind of wild. Okay. So they added a huge central hallway in the entire southern section of the house. Mm. The walls of the original house were actually removed. And then removed the walls? The walls were taken off of the house. Is that normal? um, I don't know. However, they did it. So um, they took the walls off. I know. It was a little drafty. It's okay. A little drafty. And when they did that, they were able to reposition and create four larger rooms that were used as separate ladies and gentlemen's parlors. They had a formal dining room and they had a game room. Wow. And then they put the walls down. (laughs) So they expanded to their need and then they closed the walls. But that's kind of cool. Like I feel like a lot of places when they expand, just knock the walls down and like build Mm -hmm. a new one. I think it's kind of cool that they kept the original walls. Wow. But they, of course, because they were wealthy, they would import a lot of stuff from Europe. They had elaborate plaster cornices, which were created all over in many of the rooms. And this is the craziest thing. And I'll post pictures of them because I did take some pictures. Okay. They were made of a mixture of clay, Spanish moss, and cattle or horse hair. Oh. It's so wild because when you look at it, it's this elaborate, almost like crown molding, Hmm. but built upon itself to look like a huge piece of art that's just attached to the ceiling. To know that it's made out of clay, Spanish moss, and horse or cattle hair, you would never think that's what's in it. It's really beautiful. Um, But it it held together really well, I guess. And then on the outside of the house, they added a 107-foot-long front gallery that was supported by cast iron posts and railings. And the original roof was extended so that it could cover the whole house because, remember, they took the walls off, so they needed more roof now, too. Right. Um, And the addition of higher ceilings also. So they just made the building literally wider, taller, and like longer. Like the whole place just got bigger from the inside out. Wow. Which if you think about it from an architecture perspective, that's just a wild way to do things. But I guess that's how they did it back then. Right. But the second floor actually was raised a whole foot, which is nuts. They completed the project... And nearly doubled the size of David Bradford's original home by doing this. And when they renovated everything, they renamed it to Mm -hmm. the Myrtles. And it was renamed the Myrtles after Myrtle Trees, which were all around the house. So that's Hmm. why they named it the Myrtles Plantation. That makes sense. Yeah. So they had smaller houses that surrounded the main house. Outside was a large pond with an island and gazebo. I was on the island and gazebo mainly because when we went, it was pouring. It was raining so hard when we were there, like crazy, humid downpour. It was like 90 degrees and pouring in the beginning of October. It was wild. So I'll post a video of that too because I have a funny video of my boyfriend calling me the lady in black. <laughs> um, That's all there's that. So, yes, there's a little island. It's pretty cute. Anywho, on top of that, let's move on outside of the house. Now you know a little bit more of the house and how it was built and why it was that way. Sterling, unfortunately, passed away on July 17th, 1854 of consumption. Oh, yeah. I I had last week. Just kidding. Um, It was tuberculosis. (laughs) So he passed away from that, unfortunately. And he had nine children. And of the nine children, only four of them lived to be old enough to marry. There's a lot of death already in this house, right? You had three people, four people before that. Now you have five children. You have Sterling. That's another six people. That's 11 people right there that just died that we know about. Wow. 
the oldest son, Lewis, died the same year as his father. So not only did five of the kids die, but one of them died the same year as, as his dad. Yikes. Um, on top of all this, one of the daughters who did marry, mm-hmm. Sarah Mulford, her husband was murdered on the front porch. after. Oh, no. Yep. So uh, that was one of the deaths that was more of a murder than an actual like death by natural cause slash illness. And obviously the Civil War was on the front porch of this house in general. The entire area was affected by the Civil War. But on December 5th, 1865, Mary Cobb, Sterling's wife, mm-hmm. she hired William Drew Winter. And he actually had married her daughter. So it was her son-in-law. Sarah Mulford was her daughter. And she hired him to act as her agent and attorney because she needed someone to help her with the plantation after her husband died. So as part of the deal in doing that, she let them both live in the Myrtles with her. Okay. And this is a really important story. In January of 1871, Documented in an issue of Point Coop Democrat newspaper. Winter was teaching a Sunday school lesson in the gentleman's parlor of the house. He hears somebody approach on horseback. Someone's calling out, yelling his name. So he stops his lesson. He goes outside and asks the guy, what can I do for you, sir? Right? Right. And the guy asks him, are you William Winter? And he says, yes, I am. Mm-hmm. And he is shot. And he collapses onto the porch and dies on the spot. Oh. So the newspaper reported that a man named E.S. Weber was to stand trial for Winter's murder. But the case was never closed. And to this day, no one has ever identified the killer of William Winter. It's kind of wild. Huh. So remember that story when we talk about the legends, okay? So that's one to remember. Now, moving on, the Sterlings held on to the property until Mary Cobb died in August of 1880. Mm -hmm. The Myrtles was then owned by a couple other families, but in 1950, fast forward to 1950, Marjorie Munson owned the building, and she actually was someone who first started acknowledging the hauntings. And this is when we first start to hear people even talking about ghosts, in this house and remember that as well Mm -hmm. we'll move on later 1970 james and francis myers owned the house after uh, marjorie munson they actually opened up the bed and breakfast so they're the ones Mm. who did that and they wrote a book um, about the home and it's called most haunted house in america (laughs) which i think is funny because there are so many places that claim to be the most haunted house in america yep But they wrote a book titled that, and it's about the Myrtle's Plantation. And uh, Mm. after they owned it, then John and Tita Moss purchased it, and they're the current owners. They obviously also claim that it's haunted because they run a bed and breakfast, and they run the haunted tours. And it's very much capitalized on the haunted aspect of this home. So Mm. there are some rumors there are some rumors saying that 10 people were murdered on the land, Ooh. but literally like only one or two could be confirmed. And I think the main one that can be confirmed is William Winters, right? Cause that's documented in a newspaper and apparently quote unquote, apparently 12 spirits are supposedly haunting the farmhouse. The movie, the long hot summer was filmed there in mm-hmm. 1985. And apparently literally everyone who was part of the cast and crew, like, hated staying there and did not (laughs) at all want to be there. And (laughs) the reason why was because when they came in, there was a lot of old-timey furniture there, right? Like original furniture or Victorian-era furniture to make it look a certain way. For the film, they rearranged it. And they wanted it to look a certain way for their movie. And then they would leave. And the next day that they would come back all the furniture would be put back exactly where it was like when they initially had moved it and no one had touched it. So that's weird. weird, Right. (laughs) Totally weird. And that's like, that's experienced by people who are not trying to find ghosts. Like these people literally are just trying to shoot a movie and 
they're being scared out of it. And, like, they all literally just tried to end their scenes as fast as possible to get out of there. Oh, no. Which I thought was very funny. But that's just me. I mean, there's been a handful of people who have filmed things there. And I'll get into that in a little bit. I just wanted to give you some tidbits of things that people have heard here or there. Right. um, In 2002, Unsolved Mysteries did an episode there. And their tech crew had such bad technical difficulties that they had to reshoot things multiple times. No way. Yeah. And because you know, if there's a spirit around and it sucks the energy mm-hmm. away from something, your batteries are drained or like, <laughs> so Kim and I had some really awful technical difficulties while we're trying to record this episode. <laughs> and I'm trying it's to think, my oh my God, doll. it's Kim's haunted doll. <laughs> so now listeners, anytime you have technical difficulties, it's not Mercury in <laughs> retrograde. It's a ghost. It's Kim's haunted doll. She's in your house now. <laughs> all of our listeners <laughs> i can't i actually do have a haunted doll i'm she not really joking does. about that yeah no, she does uh, she's pretty cheeky does she turn on your vibrator when you're not home <laughs> no, she turns on my tv in the middle of the night in the living room she turns the living room tv on and she turned my heat on for a while which was really annoying that's a nice uh, bill. and she's knocked stuff off the shelf before <laughs> well so if you want to hear an episode about haunted dolls, we'll probably do that at a we later We probably time. will. But I'll take a picture of Millie. Her name is Millie. I'll take a picture of Millie so we can share that with people as well. So this episode's going to have lots of pictures. It's going to be great. <laughs> All right. So anywho, apparently there's also visitors have seen like a young girl with curly hair that floats throughout the house. Mm. Uh, there's sightings of children. One of my favorite stories about this is what's going to lead us to our legend. And this story actually was documented in 1992. And the owner of the home was taking black and white photos for insurance policy purposes to make Hmm. sure that they had every inch of the house covered and to make sure that they knew what the house looked like, dimensions, everything. Mm -hmm. And they wanted to see the distance between two houses too for fire purposes, I guess. That was one of the insurance things. Um, and in taking a picture of this place, it like was gap in between two of the little houses, they caught something. Mm. And in the picture, it literally is a woman and it's like the outline of a woman. And you can see her wearing a bonnet or hat mm. You can see her kind of wearing a dress. And she looks like she would be the height of a person that would be standing in that area. So if you're thinking of proportions, it looks like a proper proportion. And there was no one there when this picture was taken. Oh, weird. So more pictures to post on the Instagram. However, everyone tried to debunk this, right? Because that's what we do. We try Mm -hmm. to debunk everything. And people said that this was the ghost of Chloe between the two buildings wearing the long dress and a turban. National Geographic Explorer had a filming crew that investigated the location and dug into the photo, and they identified that the entity was transparent. So you could actually look at this picture and see through her. So oh, wow. It's, it's a really good picture. It's kind of wild. Right. And Norman Benoit, I think I'm pronouncing his name right, he was a patent researcher. And he wanted to examine the photograph to determine its authenticity. He conducted a shadow density procedure. This was to determine the measurement of the body in reference to the building. And he identified that it's like he measured it like inch by inch, foot by foot, went to the actual physical place on the building, measured that space, Hmm. said what the size of that person would be if there was a person standing there in that angle. And they couldn't debunk it no matter what. They actually were able to see when they did that test, two more entities in the picture. No. And they were sitting on the roof on the top right-hand side of the picture. And they look like two little kids. Whoa. The Society of Psychical Research examined the photo that was taken by the insurance. It was shot on a Sony CyberShot camera. There was no faulty wiring. It was a legit photo and nothing could be proven different. This photo is now nicknamed the Chloe postcard. Uh, So this brings us to our legend. 
mm-hmm. that you're asking me about. Anyone listening is like, tell the damn legend already. Okay. <laughs> but you got to know the true historical context, a couple of the ghost stories, and now you got to know the legend. And then I'll get into mm-hmm. more ghost stories because it's so good. Oh, I love this story. It's so great. So the legend is that Clark and Sarah Woodruff owned a slave girl named Chloe. Mm -hmm. As white men generally did back in those days. I know it sounds awful, but I I like how you were stumbling over that. How do I say this in a non-offensive way? I really don't care. Anyway, um, (laughs) Clark had uh, forced this uh, slave girl, Chloe, into being his mistress. And Ew. yeah, we don't like that, but it's part of the story. So this story is that he forced her into being his mistress. And as a slave, being a house slave apparently was like the highest level of slave you could get to because you mm. didn't have to do the dirty work of being out in the fields. Um, no, yeah, You could yeah. also be privy to conversations that were political that had to do with other slaves and know where people were going to be sent to or what they were going to be doing or even politics that were discussed within like the, the gentleman that would visit the, the dad or Clark, mm-hmm. like who would mm-hmm. talk about their business. She could listen to it and hear a lot about it and then kind of have the upper hand in situations where if she knew that someone was going to be traded or that she was going to be traded, she could hold information against him. Like it was very political. So to be in the house Mm. was a good thing for her. And so she didn't exactly fight the fact that he wanted her to be her mistress because she knew the benefits of it. Right. Right. So there was that. And apparently because of that, she took to eavesdropping. And one time, apparently, allegedly, hmm. she was eavesdropping on a business deal and she was caught. So she had her ear like pressed up against a door listening mm. and someone opened it and saw her there. And because that happened, Clark cut her left ear off because <gasps> the ear was oh. the door and it forced her to wear the green turban from then on. And then he banished her to the kitchen. And she mm. no longer be his mistress. So then something happened. In the story, there's a couple as- like different story versions of this. Mm-hmm. And we don't really know what the motive is. But the story is, is that she, uh, Chloe then baked a cake and made tea with oleander leaves, which are incredibly toxic. And she baked it into the cake for the family. We don't know if she was trying to poison them to kill them. We don't know if she was trying to poison them just to get them sick so that she can right. nurse them back to health, win over Clark and make everybody happy again and like earn mm. her way back into the home. However, unfortunately, she fed the wife and the two children the cake and tea. Clark wasn't home, so he didn't have any. Mm-hmm. And Sarah Matilda and James both died. Mm. So what I think is interesting is some stories say that she fed it to all the children and the the wife, Sarah Matilda, uh, mm-hmm. and they all died. But what's wild is that we just looked at the history, right? Right. And they all died of yellow fever. I was going to say, and she it, died of yellow fever, yeah. Sarah Matilda died. James died, both of them from mm-hmm. yellow fever. And then mm-hmm. Cornelia Gale died. So the only people that were left were Mary Octavia and the dad. So technically okay. speaking... Mary Octavia, one of the daughters, actually grew up to be an adult. She didn't even die. Oh. Not from, well, I mean, she did die eventually. Obviously, she's not still alive. But <laughs> she's still alive she, today. But the point is, is that this story says that all these kids died and that they didn't have anything to do with any kind of yellow fever. It had to do with poison. So, mm-hmm. anywho, moving on. Obviously, Chloe freaks out when this happens because, mm-hmm. like, Either she didn't mean to kill them or she realizes what she did or all of the above. And she fled to the slave quarters, tells all the slaves what happened and begged them for their help. And mm-hmm. the other slaves, knowing the situation that they're in, if they side with her, their lives could be at risk. And in an act of justice, right. they took her out to the Mississippi River, hung her, 
and then weighted her body down with stones and threw her into the Mississippi River in an effort to prevent oh. her spirit from coming back to the plantation because there was a rumor that spirits mm-hmm. of the dead could not mm-hmm. cross water. Clearly, if that was the case, it did not work. <laughs> yeah, because wasn't that part of uh, Headless Horseman? Oh, was he was it? trying to get to the well because he's trying to get to the bridge because if he crossed the bridge, the the horseman couldn't follow him. Oh my gosh, I didn't know that. That's so cool. I, th- I I might be remembering. It's been a while since I've heard the story of of Ichabod Crane and the Headless Horseman, but I thought that was either that or it's like there was a Disney movie about the Headless Horseman where they did that. But it was something with the Headless Horseman and a bridge. Well, watch it on Disney Plus. <laughs> but anywho, so yeah, Chloe was killed in this legend, mm. and generally speaking, this is the story of Chloe. However, mm-hmm. there is no documentation of a slave girl named Chloe anywhere granted mm-hmm. documentation on slaves generally wasn't super thorough right so, that's what i was gonna say that doesn't actually surprise me so we, we don't know right however this is like the deaths of the family and the children i think are the biggest red flag with that because right. you actually have historical documentation that that didn't happen now what's interesting is the haunted tour i went on mm-hmm. tells the chloe story like it is truth like it is the real thing that happened. And I had looked this all up going to New Orleans because you know how crazy I am that I have to research I, everywhere I go and talk out about it. And my my favorite thing is to know more than the tour guides. Um, mm. But <laughs> when they were telling the story, I literally was like, that's not true. That's a lie. Mm. And wanted to like raise my hand and be like, actually. <laughs> but I, I didn't want to be rude. I have more self-control than I'd like to admit. So there is that theatricality of it, I guess, that they like to make money off of. But mm. there are some stories of actual spirits that have been seen in the place and people who have like literally said, I have seen a woman, an African-American woman with a green turban in this home. Just because we only have documentation of the, the owners and the families who have died there doesn't mean that there were not slave people who have possibly died in that place too and may still be there. It may not be mm-hmm. Chloe, it may be someone else, but maybe that's who has a turban on, right? So what's really interesting too is the William Winters story. William Winters did die in that house. We have actual documentation that that happened. However, the difference in the legend, the difference in the truth is that William Winters was apparently sitting with his family inside when his name was called from the outside. So first thing that's off, he wasn't teaching Sunday school. He was sitting inside with his family. Details. Um, there was a man on horseback. He didn't know him. Asked him if he was William Winter. Okay, that checks out. That's accurate. Upon confirmation, the man shot William Winter. Also true. Now, in the legend, it says that he crawled into the house after being shot. And that his wife was upstairs and his wife heard him yelling for her. So he goes up the stairs. She starts to come down the stairs. How he's doing this while being shot with the type of shotgun that they have back in the day. And I walked the distance from the porch to the staircase. It is not close. It is very Mm. far. You have to go through two rooms to get to it. So it doesn't Mm. really like that. The distance of that doesn't really check out in my opinion. Mm-hmm. That's just me. Um, but apparently he crawled up to the 17th step of the staircase. That's hmm. a lot of steps to climb up when you've been shot in the chest. That is. And apparently he died in his wife's arms on the 17th step. One of the ghost stories mm-hmm. that is told is that people often hear footsteps on the stairs. And a man is often seen sitting on the landing or leaning from the landing, looking downstairs. Or you can see someone going, a man going up or down the stairs from the peripheral of your eye. But when you go to look, there's no one there. Hmm. So that's supposed to be associated with William Winter. Now, the Hmm. whole stairs thing, in my opinion, I don't think there needs to be a story that says why someone is seen on the stairs. If someone lived in that building... And they died there and they haunt it. They could be seen anywhere, not just on the stairs, right? Right. So, I like, mean, I, I suppose if it's a residual haunting. Sure. Anyone could be seen on the stairs if that's the case. Right. So, anyhow. Now, you're probably asking yourself, there's legend. There's fact. How did that happen? <laughs> How did you go from facts 
to legends, right? So what's interesting, too, to look at is that in the 50s, the Myrtles was owned by, we talked about Marjorie Munson, right? She apparently was the one to start the, the gossip or the talk in general about hauntings. Mm-hmm. It's said that it's probably because she was experiencing stuff. Maybe she was sensitive and seeing things happening in the house and she was the first to acknowledge it. And she may have been the first to ask around about it. And so hmm. when she started asking, she was talking to the Williams family and the Williams family apparently had a story that they would tell about an old woman who haunted the Myrtles and who wore a green mm-hmm. bonnet. So that apparently is where the Chloe story started. And she was never given a name initially and was actually described as an older woman, not like a young African-American woman. So Hmm. the fact that you would think that it was an older woman, why would that then evolve into a slave girl who had an affair with the owner of the home, right? Right. But people get creative. And uh, regardless, someone repeated the story of the Williams family ghost to Marjorie, and she actually wrote a song about it, and it was called The Woman in a Green Beret. <laughs> Raspberry Beret. I wonder if that's where Prince got his info from. Um, so anywho, that was in the fifties, right? And then move forward to the seventies. In the seventies, the story was super embellished, and that's where we get the story about the poison, the murders, the severed ear. That's when that comes up. Up until then, the story was just passed word word of mouth. And Mm -hmm. no one really talked about it outside of that town. Later, James and Francis Kermine Myers, mouthful names, passed Mm. through and they loved the Myrtles. They decided to to purchase it. And it came with all of its previous furnishings. Mm -hmm. And apparently enough ghost stories to attract people from all over the country. So they decided Hmm. to capitalize on it and popularize the story. And that's when it really blew up. So that's when they started to publish stories in magazines and books. Apparently, there were a ton of ghost enthusiasts. Hi, that's us. I I went there. And no one had any idea whether or not these stories were true or false. They just accepted them as truth. Um, Mm -hmm. even though it was so severely skewed, right? So the house actually appeared in a November 1980 issue of Life magazine, which I think is nuts that Life magazine would do an article on it. Um, Yeah, that's actually really interesting. Isn't that cool? I know you want to find it. Go for it, Ken. Look it up. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently, there's also a book written by Richard Winner or Weiner. Winner, Mm -hmm. Weiner, Tomato, Tomato, Hardly Newer. I don't know. Richard Weiner. Um, And the magazine article and the book both talk about how the family was poisoned and died. As time went on, people decided to make it even an even bigger deal. And that's why we get the stories that we have today. There's a story that Louis Sterling, who's the oldest son of Rough and Gray Sterling, apparently had been stabbed to death in the house over a gambling debt. Um, I'm sorry, that's not funny, but it's a little funny. (laughs) But what's even better is that burial records in St. Francisville apparently say that he died October 1854 from yellow fever. So here's another example of where something is proven wrong Mm -hmm. versus the legends that are tied to it. So it almost seems like no matter what happens in this house, you're going to be murdered, poisoned, something's going to happen to you when you die because having yellow fever is just not as fun. As a story, apparently, because that's how it was for everybody. So now, more legends. According to the growing legend, there were three Union soldiers who were killed in the house during the Civil War, obviously, after they broke in and attempted to just like destroy the house. They were shot in the gentleman's parlor, and apparently, they left some blood stains on hmm. the floor that no one could wipe away, no matter what. How much scrubbing people did, the bloodstain would never go away. And apparently, this brings us to a couple other things. There is still a bloodstain or a stain on the wood floors today. And no one can say where it came from and no one can remove it. Hmm. So that's weird. There's also a mirror in the entryway that I took a picture of. One of the stories that was told in association with this was that when people die, their spirit ends up in a mirror if there's a mirror nearby. That Yeah, there's right? a, a lot of cultures that believe that, yeah. So that story was adapted here. And 
apparently there's smudges on that mirror that look like handprints or the side of someone's face, the mm. front of someone's face, like someone's trapped inside the mirror trying to get out. And people will Windex it, they'll like deep clean it, and nothing, it won't come off. Hmm. And I also have photos of that mirror. So I'll post it. But I really honestly saw that and I was like, that could be a scratch. And one of my, <laughs> like, I posted a picture of it, and one of my friends drew like a cat face on it, and she's like, it's a kitty. <laughs> Like, I mean, you see what you want to see, right? Like we talk about this all the time. So it's just interesting to see what happened in this house. And like that whole thing about the Union soldiers, there's no documentation of that. Apparently, if there's any kind of ghostly activity that's happened having to do with Union soldiers, I don't think it has to do with that. I think it just has to do with that house being in the area of a civil war. Um, and probably there were union deaths nearby. Um, right. And another murder apparently happened in 1927 when a caretaker was supposedly um, murdered during a robbery. No evidence of this, though. So, I mean, it just depends on what you consider being evidence and what considered not. But there are all of these different murders that people say that have happened there. But the people like a dramatic story. If we can make it dramatic, let's make it dramatic. Let's talk about it. So your favorite show in the world did an episode there. And um, this show is called Ghost Adventures. And we all know how much Kim dislikes Ghost Adventures, so I'm not going to sit on it too long. But I actually got very annoyed watching this episode because they wanted to uh, play more into the voodoo aspect because they were in Louisiana and tried to say that there was... um, a voodoo girl that was killed there, something having to do with that. I don't want to get too deep into that aspect of it because no one really could verify anything in the tour and they didn't really sit on that. They could be trying to hide something, but in the show they tried to make like a really big deal out of it. Um, Mm. But apparently they also got footage of Chloe sitting in a chair. Um, I don't think it was actually like a a ghost. I think it was like one of their devices – showed a stick figure sitting in the chair and they wanted Mm. it to be Chloe. So they assumed it was Chloe and said it was Chloe. And that's another thing too, is that you don't know who that is. That could be somebody else, but apparently Mm. there's a chair in one of the rooms that Chloe likes to sit in. There's lots of different stories. Like there's a rumor that there's a native American burial ground there, which I mean, probably like there are native American burial grounds all over, but there were some EVPs recorded. One of the EVPs Mm -hmm. that they recorded was, get off your trespassing and another one said get out now there is a piano in the entryway and i also saw it it's actually like right across from that big mirror and Mm -hmm. that piano apparently plays on its own oh nice and it plays the same chord over and over so this is an educated piano player mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it you can play a whole chord and you're gonna play it like done done <laughs> done like let's creep people out like i i can't even imagine that i'd probably be like yes play more but you know we're those weirdos and everybody else probably will run out and pee their pants so that actually has happened a few times and there's some evidence to that i don't know if anyone actually caught it on a recording or not but it's a fun story to talk about and children have been seen all over the house. So I know we mentioned earlier in that photo how there was a tr- there were two children on the roof. The house is beautiful, by the way. It's actually not as big as it sounds. I feel like the way this is described and when I looked up how they expanded it, it made it seem bigger. However, you're only allowed to see like the entryway and the, bo- the first floor parlors when you do the mm-hmm. tour because the upstairs area is for the guests for the um, bed and breakfast. So the only way you can see the rest of the house is if you stay the night. So I actually know that June, who is in a ghost with us, mm-hmm. ate the night there and did some investigation in her room. I don't know if she caught anything really valuable or not, but... If you're in a ghost hunting group or if you like ghost hunting and you want to investigate this place, because Lord knows I brought my EMF detector, I brought my audio <laughs> recorder, I brought my thermal camera like the nerd that I am, I couldn't really use them. I was not in a controlled environment and 
I was on a tour. So if you want to do that, by all means, go there, stay there, spend the night, do a little investigation in your room if you'd like to, go on one of the tours. While it does offer some information that may not be 100% accurate, it's fun. One of the stories that they told on the tour that I really loved had to do with Chloe messing with someone who was an actress that was reenacting a story about Chloe on Halloween. According to the tour, on Halloween in 2018, there were actors who were hired to act as the ghosts playing out the stories being told in the house on the tours, which I thought was a wild but like fun and cool idea. But also like, how do you have this kind of money to pay these people to do these things? Like, I mean, that's literally where my head went to because logic and common sense but also super great idea for like the theatricality of it right like one of the actors that was playing chloe was holding a lit candle in the corner of the room and actually saw the ghost of chloe and apparently the ghost of chloe had a sense of humor (laughs) as she blew out the actress's candle oh and she ran Ooh, she ran. Hmm. He like literally like dropped everything and ran out of the house and refused to go back into the house for like a while unless there was someone with her standing right next to her while she was like doing her little acting moment. And that actually happened in the same room with the chair that Chloe apparently likes to sit in. So I don't know. I thought that was a kind of a cool story that um, I found out on the tour. And I don't want to give away all the stories. There's so many, but the visual of this place it's so beautiful so intricate and so freaking spooky and i have to tell you their restaurant is delicious so if you go there you should eat there it's really good but yeah that's the story of the myrtle's plantation the legend the lore the truth what have you decide for yourself what do you think is accurate what do you think is legend but Hmm. Just take ghost stories with a grain of salt sometimes because you never know what's actually true and what's just embellished. Well, I think what we've found is a lot of them have a root in truth. For sure. In that a lot of times they're started by some sort of figure. The person is, uh, I mean, Matilda was a real person. Um, Sarah Matilda. Sarah Matilda. I just, yeah, I'm thinking my cat. Your I'm like cat Matilda, a real person. My cat's a real person. Uh, I mean, the same way when we talk about Jake Bird. Jake Bird was a real person. Does he haunt? You know, two prisons he was in. So you have to kind of of look objectively, for sure. And that's why I like to tell like listeners, believe what you want to believe. Like mm-hmm. we just like to do the fun research and find the evidence evidence for you and then you can make the decision for yourself but um stay tuned we're gonna do another episode on oak alley plantation and that i'll give you a lot of good information on too and we actually have a guest speaker for that one as well so that'll be at a later time because we don't want to overwhelm you with plantation stories Hmm. um stay tuned for our next episode we're gonna have um the month of love for february and Mm. It's going to be some fun topics, and mm-hmm. we're really excited to share them with you. So having said that, thank you for those of you who listen and leave reviews. We got a couple others, so thank you so, so, so much. If you like what you listen to, please go on Apple Podcasts and rate and review us. Please subscribe so that way you know when new podcast episodes are coming out you can subscribe on apple Podcasts as well as spotify we're now on stitcher and Mm -hmm. we have a couple other platforms we've submitted to as well so we're just waiting to hear back from them for show notes references and uh, all episodes please visit our website at www.ghoulishtendencies.com follow us on twitter at ghoulish podcast to give us a topic suggestion or whatever you want to say give us a shout out about how much you love it you can message us on instagram too if you have a ghost story please send it to us on our instagram or on our email our instagram is ghoulish tendencies podcast and our email is gabby g-a-b-i at ghoulish tendencies.com and thank you for listening 
We appreciate you guys. Stay spooky.